0: I'd like to uh, start our discussion of uh, mind and the five aggregates by looking at what is the importance of uh, understanding what the mind is. And the reason for that is very simple. We all want to be happy and not to suffer, and we don't want to be unhappy, and the source of Happiness, long-lasting, enduring happiness, satisfying, and so on, is uh, not uh, material objects, it's not bodily pleasure, physical pleasures. I'm sure that not having a lot of money, we know that the more that we have, we just want more, we're never satisfied, we never have enough. And it's really the mind and our attitudes and our emotions that are the source of our happiness and unhappiness. So this is something that we need to look more deeply into. We need to understand what mind is and how it works in each moment. And we need to try to understand everything that makes up each moment of our minds. And that's what the five aggregates are uh, all about. It's talking about uh, all the emotions and... Feelings and all the other things that are involved with uh, our minds. If we uh, understand how all of that works, then, of course, we're in a better position to be able to do something about it. We're able to uh, under, uh, see what are the troublemakers in our minds, various disturbing emotions and so on, and uh, we'll be able to then work on them, if uh, we understand the various factors that are maybe weak in our minds, like uh, our attention or concentration or we're getting sleepy all the time, these sort of things, then uh, we'll be able to know what to actually work on. So the more detail that we know about uh, all the components that make up our mind, then uh, we have a working basis for being able to actually deal with it. You know, make some change, make some improvement, work on ourselves. Uh, This is what Dharma is all about. Actually, on the most basic level is working on ourselves, which means working on our minds primarily. And we do that on one level just to be happy ourselves, and on the other level, since we uh, are social animals, we live in communities, and so on, and we're totally dependent on others for our uh, lives, in a sense, obviously from our parents, but uh, in uh, terms of uh, everything else, then we work on ourselves to be able to be of better benefit to uh, everyone else. So, in short, to be able to work on our minds requires understanding our minds, and what it is, and so on. And all Buddhist uh, schools agree on what we mean by mind, what we're actually dealing with in our uh, spiritual practice, but there are many different ways of uh, presenting it, and several different uh, analyses of how the mind works. So here this being a karmakargyu center, I thought it would be appropriate to give the karmakargyu presentation. And among the various karmakargyu presentations, there's the basic sutra presentation, which has to do with uh, how the mind knows things, and uh, then there's a Mahabudra explanation, and there's also an explanation from a system uh, usually referred to in the West by the Tibetan name, Namshe Yeshe, Which uh, or Yoshinamshe, whichever one it is. And uh, that is a system of uh, deep awareness and specific awareness which comes from the third Karmapa's writings on Kala Chakra Tantra, basically. The highest class of uh, Tantra in general, and Kala Chakra specifically. So I uh, don't want to get things too overly complicated. Things are complicated enough. So uh, I think that uh, what is appropriate is to start with uh, and explain here the basic sutra presentation. And then if uh, you want to go deeper, then of course you can go into uh, the other systems which are built on this basis. Mind in Buddhism in general is referring to mental activity. This is the first really important point to understand. It's the individual subjective experiencing of something. It refers to the mental activity of seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, feeling physical sensations, and uh, thinking. So it uh, means that uh, when we talk about mind, we're not talking about some immaterial thing that's doing The seeing or hearing or thinking. We're talking about the actual moment to moment activity of seeing, hearing, etc. So, mind is not some immaterial type of thing. And this mental activity changes from moment to moment as it does different things at different moments in its continuity. One moment we're seeing, one moment we're hearing. Often we're seeing and hearing at the same time. We're thinking. All of that is changing from moment to moment to moment. So in this sense, we can say that our mental activity is impermanent. Impermanent in the sense that it is changing from moment to moment, and it's doing different things at uh, different moments. It's conditioned or affected by what it's doing. But uh, if you look at it from another point of view, if you look at it from the point of view of its essential nature, uh, which refers to both its conventional and deepest natures, then uh, what it is, how it exists, uh, what's actually going on there, the process itself, that always remains the same. So from that point of view, Mental activity, meaning the essential nature of mental activity, is permanent. It's unconditioned, it's unaffected by anything, it's not created by anyone. So when we find these, uh, or read these seemingly contradictory explanations, that in some places it says mind is impermanent, in other places it says it's permanent, you have to be careful not to understand that in an incorrect way. In uh, our Western languages, permanent and impermanent have two meanings. They can either mean eternal, you know, permanent in that sense, and Buddhism ex- accepts that uh, mental continuums are eternal, they have no beginning and no end. Uh, and impermanent would imply that has a beginning and an end, you know, it uh, is only temporary. So we don't think of, in terms of, of that. When we uh, hear the discussion of, is mind permanent or impermanent? It's referring to whether it's static or non-static. In other words, does it change or does it not change? So its content and what it's doing in each moment is changing, but its essential nature of what it is is always the same, and how it exists is always the same, no matter what it's doing. That's not affected by anything. Mental activity is individual. It's another very important uh, point. We're not talking in Buddhism about some sort of universal mind or collective unconscious or anything like that. Although the conventional and deepest natures of mind, of everybody's mind, is the same that doesn't make all minds into one mind. I always use the funny example of noses we all have a nose but that doesn't mean that we all share the great nose in the sky or uh, we all have the same nose so it's exactly the same thing with uh, the mind so my experiencing of something and your experiencing of something is not the same Uh, they are different but they are the same in terms of uh, they're both experiencing something Okay? Let's take a moment to sort of digest what uh, we've uh, covered so far. What we've covered so far is that mind is mental activity. It's not something that's doing that activity. We're not talking about mind as some immaterial thing that's doing it. We're talking about the mental activity and It changes from moment to moment, though its nature of what it is is always the same and it's individual. So my seeing, hearing, thinking, tasting, smelling, feeling physical sensations, we're all doing that. We're all doing the same thing, but what we are seeing and hearing and how we're hearing it and so on, it's all different. It's changing from moment to moment. But it's all mental activity. Okay, now, scientists, of course, would like to uh, reduce, or many scientists would like to reduce that uh, mental activity to something physical. And uh, in Buddhism, of course, we do say that mental activity has a physical basis, There's the gross physical basis in humans, a living, functioning brain and nervous system inside the body. Even at the moment of death, there is the mental activity of experiencing death. Remember, we're talking about the individual subjective experiencing of something. So if you define mental activity like that, then from the Buddhist point of view, there is the activity of experiencing death, and it occurs on the physical basis of subtlest energy, after death, there's the mental activity of experiencing the in-between state. That's the bardo, and that occurs on the basis of subtle energy, not the subtlest energy. And then the mental activity continues if we're going to be reborn as a human or animal uh, on the basis of some sort of physical you know, body, uh, nervous system, and brain, and these sort of things that are made out of physical elements. And so, like that, there is always a continuity, continuum, an individual continuum going from moment to moment to moment based on previous experiences, you know, cause and effect, karma, these type of things. I don't want to get into a big discussion of beginningless mind and uh, rebirth and so on. Let's just sort of take that for granted in our uh, discussion. So mind doesn't refer to any of these uh, gross or subtle physical bases, but to its activity, its functioning, what's going on on the basis of the physical thing. And in our discussion, why don't we just uh, limit our discussion to human mental activity, And that occurs on the basis of the brain and the nervous system and all of uh, the apparatus that's uh, involved with that. Uh, So we're not talking about stimulating a neuron and a Petri disk or something like that. But uh, we're talking about a living functioning brain and nervous system. So if you think in terms of that, then There can't be mental activity without a living, functioning brain, can there? Can there be mental activity, talking about humans, if there isn't a physical, functioning, living brain? No. And there can't be a living brain, functioning brain, without some mental activity. I mean, even if you think on a uh, more subtle level, if there are brain waves going on, that's mental activity. If there's mental activity, there are brain waves. So, in that sense, uh, the activity of uh, the activity, the mental activity, and the functioning of a basis are inseparable. just describing it from two different points of view think about that if the brain is functioning what's going on it's mental activity seeing hearing thinking unconscious mental activity of keeping the body heart beating and stuff like that isn't it And if there's mental activity, they're brain waves. It's a brain and a nervous system that's functioning at least on some level. So it's not contradictory. And, as I said, each individual continuum is individual and has no beginning and no end. So that individuality is still maintained even when we become enlightened Buddhas. It's not this, uh, uh, one of the Hindu images that's used is uh, all rivers flow into the ocean and they all become one. That's not Buddhism. That's one form of Hindu thought. So, even in uh, when we become enlightened, we still retain our individuality. Shakyamuni Buddha is not the same as Maitreya Buddha. We're individuals. That's demonstrated by the fact that uh, different people have the karma to be able to receive the teachings of Shakyamuni Buddha, and some people don't. They have the karma... <laughs> Uh, the connections to be able to receive teachings from Maitreya Buddha. So that's why we all pray to uh, be reborn at the time when Maitreya Buddha comes. So that demonstrates that they are different. Although their attainment is the same, their understanding is the same, their omniscience is the same, their compassion is the same, nevertheless, they're individuals. yeah by individual do they stu- they lose ego well we'll get into that they lose ego in the sense of you know imagining that they are concrete me existing independently of everything else and that there's something inside me that makes me me and as an individual, okay, so but there's still a person.
1: Yeah, I understand. But isn't the Hindu like thought of all rivers flowing into one exactly that? That you you you're still like the wave coming off of the ocean, but you lose the ego. No. Well. At least that's my understanding. That
0: right. I mean, there is that explanation that all rivers flow into the ocean and it all becomes one in the ocean but uh, pardon?
1: so meaning that you're dropping the ego
0: meaning that you're dropping the ego um, that's not really I mean you have to differentiate between an ego and a self the ego is something which is Impossible, which doesn't exist. You see, there's. We speak about ego as if it were. Uh, uh, you know, a set. There is. How shall I say this? There's a healthy sense of a self. And an unhealthy sense of a self. The unhealth. The healthy sense of a self is not inflating the self into an ego. That I always have to have my way, I'm the center, I have to be the center of attention and so on. That's inflating the self. So that you get rid of. But still, there is a healthy sense of a self with which you actually get up out of bed in the morning and do things and help others. If you didn't have that, then you'd be uh, in a terrible depression basically. You know, you just lie in bed and you can't you don't have the energy to do anything or the will to do anything. So that's not a healthy sense of self. So Buddhas still have a self. They're still an individual being. But what they lose is the belief in the inflate, in the inflation. The inflation is a fiction. You know, the inflation into an ego, that's just your imagination. And then you believe it. So you have to be a little bit careful when uh, we look at issues in terms of words like ego. You know, that's a Western word that has quite a Western meaning you know within the context of western psychologies and in buddhism if you put it in buddhist terms then it's much easier to see what's going on if you leave it in western terms you tend to get confused because you bring in western associations with it which are not really relevant to the discussion so even when water from the rivers go into the uh, ocean. If you want to use that analogy, the molecules of water still retain their individuality.
1: In the beginning,
0: right, so that's true. why the Hindu perspective may be that. Why, that's why I said some Hindu perspectives, <laughs> not all, obviously. <laughs> okay, let's get back to our topic, which uh, took off from the point that Shakyamuni Buddha and Maitreya Buddha are not the identical beings, they are individuals. I'm not you. And, you know, we don't become soup, you know, a mixture in the, like that when we become uh, enlightened. Sort of like that. Anyway, the, I want to take a moment to digest that since we've had a bit of a discussion on it. There's nothing incorrect about being an individual. You get into trouble when you think I'm something special and I have to prove it and I have to defend it. Then you're inflating your individuality. I'm something special. You get rid of that still an individual. I'm still me, I'm not you. We're all the same and everybody wants to be happy, nobody wants to be unhappy, but that doesn't make me you, or you me. Does it? No. Okay. There are two ways, then, of describing this mental activity. The functioning of seeing, hearing, thinking, and so on, can be described from a physical, material point of view. So the transmission of neural energy and biochemical exchanges in a neural network, if you want to get scientific about it, so that's one way of describing the mental activity and the other is the individual subjective point of view from that point of view, so we can describe it from a materialistic point of view or from an individual subjective point of view both are referring to the same phenomenon the functioning of mental activity but uh, they can be differentiated from each other from two conceptual points of view from the scientific point of view and from the Buddhist point of view they're talking about the same thing think about that talking about the same phenomenon from two points of points of view both can be valid like I can call you know you can call any object by a word in one language or about a word in, with a word in another language both are correct aren't they? So, just because there's a scientific point of view, materialistic point of view, doesn't negate that there's also a subjective point of view. That's what Buddhism is talking about. How you describe that mental activity from an individual subjective point of view. And you'd have to say that they are non dual. Non dual doesn't mean that they're identical. Non-dual means if one is valid, so is the other. Both are equally valid. That's a very important point, especially in any discussions with uh, very materialistic scientists, to say that we Buddhism is not refuting science. We're just describing what you are describing in physical terms from a subjective point of view. And that has as much validity as the materialistic description of what's going on. So our subjectively, experientially described mental activity of a living, functioning brain and nervous system is what we mean by mind. I'll say that again. The subjectively, experientially described mental activity of a living, functioning brain and nervous system is what we mean by mind. And mental activity always has content. You can't just the experiencing. we are always experiencing something. And there can't be something that's being experienced without there being the experiencing of it. There's always, always content, and that is a very important point in terms of understanding non-duality. The experiencing and what is experienced are non dual in the sense that they're always together. There's one, there's the other. It doesn't make the two the same thing. Right? Good. So now we get to the definition, defining characteristic of uh, what is mental activity, what's going on, what is this activity. And it's described with uh, two words. They're so usually translated as clarity and awareness. These need to really be understood correctly, otherwise you get quite an incorrect understanding of what we're talking about. Clarity is explained with another Tibetan word, which is the word that is used for the rising of the sun. And that means the mental activity of giving rise to some sort of mental aspect, it's called, which I refer to as a mental hologram, which I think is uh, much more uh, understandable, what's going on. When we talk about a mental hologram, we're not talking about something which is only visual. There can be a mental hologram of a sound, of a smell, of a taste, of a physical sensation, of a thought and it's not necessarily clear just because we have the word clarity doesn't mean that it's clear it could be uh, out of focus as well but there's the arising of a mental activity now we can describe that, arising of a mental uh, hologram now we can describe this in scientific terms and for that what I find most accurate perhaps is from uh, IT internet <laughs> technology I'm into that so then uh, what we're talking about is the mental activity is the activity of transforming the data of photons and electro or electromagnetic waves or sound waves or sensibility of smell or you know little molecules of Smell or taste or the uh, neural uh, um, waves of uh, physical sensation or brain waves. And it's transforming them so that they arise as intelligible information. You know, there's a difference between data and information. Data in a computer are a string of zeros and ones and information is when that is transformed into something that is usable or understandable and this is exactly what mental activity does by analogy from a scientific point of view so there are electromagnetic waves and photons and stuff that come in and what happens they become transformed through the transmission of neural energy and various chemical, biochemical exchanges, gets to the various types of brain, you know, various areas of the brain, and how is it experienced? It's experienced as the arising of you would have to say a mental hologram. That's what we see. That's what we hear. It's just coming from electromagnetic waves, isn't it? So the electromagnetic, uh, electromagnetic waves, or sound waves, are being, that's data, and that's being transformed by mental activity into information. It's a sight, it's a sound. That's what clarity is referring to. Referring to this activity of giving rise to a mental hologram. It could also be a thought in which you have a mental representation of a sound of words or a mental representation of a picture. It's a mental hologram, isn't it? There's a whole scientific book written about the holographic universe by the whole universe, actually, from our subjective point of view, is a hologram. And it makes sense, if you think about it. Yes?
2: Um, Could we say that that process is interpretation of the data?
0: That process is, uh, maybe speak in the microphone, I couldn't hear
2: Say that uh, the process from uh, data to information is interpretation. Is what? To, um, to make, uh, I, I, I didn't
0: understand the word that you said. Interpretation. Hmm? Interpretation. Interpretation comes next. That's next. Interpretation is how you interpret that information. Oh, okay so the information the photo uh, the electromagnetic waves are transformed into a mental hologram and then your interpretation could be that this is my friend or this is pretty or I like this Mm -hmm. we're talking about just the basic what's going on in every moment and in every moment there's the arising of a mental hologram and the mental activity displays that information as a hologram like the computer displays it the zeros and ones into an image on the screen really very similar Okay, you understand what clarity means? A mental hologram could be of a blur. Doesn't have to be clear, doesn't have to be in focus. Okay, that's clarity. Then the second word of the definition is awareness. That's how it's usually translated, and that is uh, explained with another Tibetan word, which means an engagement. And So it's a cognitive engagement. Cognitive or cognition is the most general word for any type of mental activity. So it's not necessarily conscious. be unconscious, you know, we have unconscious hostility, these sort of things so it's a mental engagement cognitive engagement the most, uh, it can be accurate or inaccurate it can be decisive or indecisive I mean the cognitive engagement is seeing, hearing, thinking That's the cognitive engagement. And it could be accurate or inaccurate. It could be decisive or indecisive. It can be with understanding or without understanding. It can be conceptual, non-conceptual. It's a huge variety of different ways of mentally or cognitively engaging. So we have the the giving rise to a mental hologram and a mental engagement, cognitive engagement. So then the question is, are these two separate things? Is it that first there is the arising of a mental hologram and then you see it? Is it that first a thought arises and then you think it? That doesn't make any sense, does it? It's not that a thought arises and then you think it. The two are referring to the same phenomenon, just describing it from two different points of view. So the transformation of if we talk about from a scientific point of view the transformation of electromagnetic waves through neural network into a mental hologram that is what seeing is It's the transformation of that data into mental hologram of a sight that's seeing Hearing is a transformation of sound waves into a, mel- into a hologram of a sound. That's what hearing is. So these two, that's non-dual. They're referring to the same activity, just describing it from two different points of view of what's going on. That's an important point to understand. So it's not that first mental hologram arises and then you see it or you think it or you hear it. Then, a very important point is that there's, you know, what's the relationship between the self and mental activity? And there's no independently existing me findable inside the material brain or inside some immaterial mind that uses the brain or mind like a machine to see or think things. That's a deceptive appearance. You know, this deceptive appearance of a little me sitting inside our heads, talking, that's the voice that uh, is going on in our minds all the time. What should I do now? Well, let me think of something I'll use my brain in order to think of something like it's a machine over there. It might feel like that, but that's a deceptive appearance. There are cartoons like that, (laughs) but that's not what's actually going on, is it? So there's no separate me, independently, existing from all of that. But that doesn't mean that there's no one that's the agent of mental activity or no one experiencing it. That's the other extreme. Mental activity, after all, is individual and subjective. So that means there's a person. It's just that the person or individual is not something totally separate from the mental activity and it's not identical with the mental activity either they're non-dual you can't have the mental mental activity without the mental activity of someone and you can't have someone without mental activity otherwise it's a dead body it's not a living being There's a living being, there's mental activity, there's mental activity, there's a living being, a person, an individual. The non-dual, there's one, there's the other. Not the same, not different, not totally different, not totally the same. When we go into the discussion of the five aggregates, we'll speak much more in detail about the self, but just in general, in terms of mental activity, it has to always be the mental activity of someone. It can't just be mental activity abstract up in the sky. And the last point about mental activity is that it is multi-part. There's seeing, there's hearing, smelling, tasting, feeling physical sensations, thinking. There's all of that, but they're accompanied by many mental factors. And these mental factors are, some of them are mechanical ones, like interest and attention and concentration, these sort of mechanical factors that are there. And then there's also feeling some level of happiness or unhappiness. It's part of uh, experiencing something. And there's also various emotions. Some are constructive, like love or patience. Others are destructive and disturbing, like anger or attachment, greed, these type of things. So our mental activity is multi-part. It's made up of many, many different factors. And all of these are changing all the time. Our emotions are changing, levels of happy and unhappy are changing, what we're experiencing, the mental holograms are changing, sometimes we're seeing, sometimes we're thinking, our interest, our attention changes all the time. All of these are changing at different rates. And that's what the five aggregates are all about. Is understanding all these different parts, how they function, and what's actually going on in each moment of our experience. And that's what we'll speak about on the weekend. So, review, we have mind is referring to mental activity, the individual subjective experiencing of something. It's the individual, that means that there's always someone that's experiencing things. And that's one way of describing the mental activity. We can also describe it from a mechanical, biological point of view of what's going on with the brain and the nervous system. Just two different ways of describing the same activity. It's individual goes on with no break in its continuity, whether we're asleep, whether we're conscious, whether we're unconscious, it's still going on at some level. Buddhism says it goes on through death and in between period and rebirth and into enlightenment, has no beginning, no end. Nobody created it, but always retains its individuality. That doesn't mean that there are big walls around it separating me from you, making me into something special like that, but that doesn't negate that. We each are... Individuals. They're five fingers, but that doesn't make them all the same finger. They're all fingers. So, like that. And the mental activity is described from two points of view, which are basically talking about the same thing. It's the arising of a mental hologram, in other words, transforming data into information which is usually displayed. And that's what seeing is. That's what the awareness is, the cognitive engagement. That's what it means to see something, to hear something, to think something. The arising of a thought is what thinking is. That's mental activity. And because it is multi-part, it has together with it emotions and feelings and all of that, plus mechanical factors, attention and concentration and interest and all of that, Then, if we understand all the parts of what's going on and that they're changing all the time, then we can affect it. We can do something about it. If we can identify what are the troublemakers, what are the things that are giving me problems. Because all you need to do is strengthen something, or dampen down something, or shut off something, like that. But it isn't that there is some separate me... Over here at the dashboard and doing that. That's the tricky part of it. Because when working on ourselves, we could get this impression that I am over here and there's myself over there and I'm working on it. That's not really accurate, is it? But that's how it feels and that's how we talk about it. I'm working on myself. I'm not happy about myself. Therefore, I want to change it. All that's happening is mental activity, moment to moment. It's the mental activity of someone, but that someone who's working on themselves is not separate or not identical with the mental activity. That's the tough part to really, not only intellectually understand, but uh, to really Digest that emotionally on a gut level. Especially in moment-to-moment life. Okay? So let's have another minute of uh, reflection, and then we have plenty of time for questions or discussion. Okay. So whether we are going deeper or not into mahamudra and Dzogchen and all of these more sophisticated or complicated systems, advanced systems, they're all talking about the same thing. This is the basic of what mental activity is. Mahamudra and Dzogchen are talking about this just going much more deeply into into the topic. This is the foundation. So it's important to understand it. So, what questions or comments do you have? Yeah, do you have the microphone?
2: hear me? Yeah. Uh, you said that this um, mental activity goes on after death.
0: From the Buddhist point of view, yes. Yes.
2: Uh, so then it's not dependent on brain.
0: It's not dependent on the gross physical elements of the body, but there are subtle elements and then subtlest elements. So, so, what are subtle elements? Subtle elements are referring to basically neural energy. So, when we have, so that's energy. So, within the body, let's say when we are um, dreaming, the various images that arise, they're not made out of. Gross matter. But it's sort of like a, a transformation of neural yeah. energy. So that's subtle energy. So, conceptual, you know, when you have various disturbing emotions and so on, they are a disturbance of this subtle energy in the body. That's why you feel nervous or stressed. That's talking about this subtle energy. And then when we are dead, the subtlest is basically just the energy component of this, you know, clarity and awareness. That itself, it's like the uh, um, radio being on, you know, when in each lifetime, it's like the radio is on a certain station. If people still know what a radio is. And uh, <laughs> uh, so it's on different stations in different lifetimes, you know, it's on louder and so on. But the energy that just keeps it on, that's the subtlest energy, and that continues through death and into the next life. It's known as the subtlest wind. That wind, we can understand as energy. Yeah. Can you pass the microphone, please? Okay.
2: Um, would that subtlest energy then be what is experiencing the bottom?
0: Is the subtlest energy what we're experiencing in the bardo? In the bardo, it is the it's another form of subtle energy. It's a little bit more gross than that. It's grosser than that. The bardo. The bardo Bardo is the death existence is described as being similar to being asleep with no dreams. And Bardo is described as being like dream state, so there are images arising, and that's with subtle type of energy, not quite the same as when we imagine things or visualize things, but that sort of type of uh, energy. Right. (laughs) Anyone else? Uh, Yeah, you pass the microphone.
3: So I was wondering um, when you talk about mind, if it's the same as Chitta?
0: mind is in Sanskrit it's chitta in uh, Tibetan it's sem Hmm.
4: yeah Yeah. Yeah. so it's just a question of uh, if that's what you're talking about
0: yeah that's what we're talking about and of course different Indian philosophical systems will define it differently someone in the back
4: I was wondering when you were talking about uh, the fact that science describes mental activity just from a different perspective as Buddhism if and the discussion about whether or not brain activity produces consciousness, which is sort of the materialistic scientific worldview that do you mean to say that those two are complementary and, or, or not I was just wondering well, what it,
0: the, rather than saying as science might or some scientists might say that uh, brain activity produces consciousness if they even accept that there is such a thing as consciousness brain activity is consciousness is the Buddhist point of view. Not that the brain activity produces it, but they're just, they're the same thing, that is consciousness. But, or unconscious, I mean, the unconscious is included in consciousness.
4: But it's also more than that, in terms of what we are just talking about, the subtle mind and the experience. Right, well,
0: the, the subtle way mind, way. the point being that brain activity, neural activity, there are different levels of physical phenomenon that are involved. There's the gross level of the brain and the nerves, the nervous system, but then there's a subtle level of neural energy. So there's both a gross and a subtle thing that's going on and then you can speak even on a more subtle level of electrons and electron current and you know, there's neural transmitters, there's, there's all sorts of different levels of what's involved. They're not contradictory. But does that also entail that,
4: for example, karmic patterns can be sitting in the brain? I mean, what we carry from life to life does...
0: Karmic patterns?
4: Yeah, I mean, the patterns that we carry from life to life, that they also manifest sort of as patterns in the brain.
0: Well, yes. uh, There is going to be a physical... In each lifetime, there will be a physical basis that is going to be appropriate For supporting the uh, ripenings of karma that are going to, that have been activated at the time of death in the previous lifetime. So if the package of what is activated is the mental activity of a fly, then what will come from that is the connection of that mental continuum with the physical basis of a fly so that that will support the mental activity of a fly so both the physical basis i mean the karmic pat you know the karmic package that has been activated will produce will Propel the mental continuum to be connected with a physical basis and the mental activity appropriate to that physical basis. It's not that on the basis of a fly brain you'll have human thoughts. And we're not going to be, you know, Smacked with a fly swatter, as you know, and, and crushed as a human. So, we're not going to experience what a fly could experience. And even our perception what a fly, what the mental hologram that appears through uh, the uh, multi prism eye of a fly is very, very different from the mental hologram that appears from a human eye. So then that becomes a very interesting question. Which one is correct? They're both correct. So that starts to question what is actually out there. But if you think in terms of electromagnetic waves, you know, reduce it to that. Then... It's not a problem that uh, fly eyes will, and fly brain will make, uh, you know, the appearance of one type of mental hologram and a human apparatus will give rise to a different hologram. They're just processing the information differently, processing the data differently. I'm sorry. It's very interesting when you start to think of it in terms of data and information and the device with which uh, that data is transformed into information then you can understand the fly and the human and the fish
2: Changeably. Would you say, and I, I see very many translations lately where it says where brain and, and mind uh, are equal. Would you say something about
0: that? Our uh, brain and mind equal, they're not the same thing. Mind, as I said, is referring to mental activity described from a subjective point of view, an experiential point of view. And the physical basis for that is the brain. That doesn't make mind and brain the same thing. And consciousness in the Western sense is contrasted with subconscious and unconscious. An unconscious could be completely unconscious, or it could be unconscious hostility. You're just not aware of it. So in the West, it has quite a distinct set of meanings. In Buddhism, it's usually used for only, I mean, we'll get to that in the discussion of the aggregates, but uh, eye consciousness, ear consciousness, uh, nose consciousness, and so on. So that's something quite different. And then being conscious or unconscious in a uh, Western sense has to do with uh, attention and uh, you know all sorts of subtle differences that are there. But consciousness is the same. It was like that. Anyone else? Yeah. You just change positions. <laughs> yeah, you have a question?
5: A concept which goes like this. Uh, this guy was trying to teach how you project into different spaces with your mind.
0: How you pro- project what? Uh,
5: how you project your mind to different spaces, you know? like yeah. uh, Traveling out of body was one of these things. Okay. Um, but he introduced this concept of the mind being everything. So, my question to you is have you heard this concept as mind being everything? And this. Something
0: like this exists in Buddhism? Uh, is mind everything? Well, you know, there are many different Buddhist, ex, you know, Buddhist uh, what's called tenant systems, ways of looking at things. There's one which is called mind only, which is uh, basically saying that uh, how do you establish that uh, something exists externally from it being experienced. And you can't. You can only establish, you know, how can you... This table. Well, I only can know about the table by seeing it, or talking about it, or thinking about it. It can't exist on its own, by itself. You can't approve that it exists externally. The only thing that you can talk about is the uh, experience of it, individually. So, how do you know that there is food in the refrigerator? Well, you could know it by looking inside the refrigerator You can know it by inference. You know, I bought it and I put it in the refrigerator before, so it probably hasn't disappeared. So I mean, but it's knowing it.
5: But but he would argue because.
0: But that doesn't mean that you know the table is my mind. It's just that I can only know the table with the mind. Can only establish or prove that it exists discuss that it exists in relation to the mind. But
5: you're equating the mind with the brain,
0: then? So no, we're talking about mental activity.
5: All right, mental which is the whole system.
0: Right, the mental activity is, is all that we have been speaking about, but from the, except in the this mind-only view, which I'm not even sure. I think within the mind-only view, there are some that say, really, there's no external phenomenon, really. But then it becomes very difficult to have compassion if everybody is just some figment of your imagination, But uh, which is not really what it's saying. And those that say, which I think is a more reasonable approach to mind only, is that you can only talk about things, establish, prove that there are such things in terms of a mind, you know, seeing it. This is why the uh, when there are these discussions with scientists between the Dalai Lama and uh, quantum physicists, that he says that this point is similar to quantum physics. It's different from quantum physics, though, but uh, in the sense that uh, in... Uh, Quantum physics, when you have a uh, you know something that uh, where they have you know you can't tell where the particle is, the photon is is over here, over there, so it's in both places at the same time, and it only uh, deflates into one position when somebody sees it or a camera you know takes a picture, which is the same thing. So that is not the Buddhist position because that position is that objectively it's deflated when one person sees it and then that's it. Whereas the uh, Buddhist position is that, for instance, there is this uh, uh, electromagnetic waves right, that are coming in And with my mental hologram, I deflated into one, you know, now it comes into interpretation, into one thing, that all these people are interested, or somebody else could deflate it into all of these beings in front of me are aliens from another planet that have just taken on the form of humans and are basically going to eat me or something like that. So I mean everybody would deflate this the electromagnetic waves into their own personal hologram. So that's not quantum physics but you know in general the fact of the relationship of mind with matter is, or energy, is similar to quantum physics. But that doesn't make everything mind. You know, it's not to be taken literally. If everything were mental activity, there would be no content. I mean, there would be no objects. Yeah.
5: I uh, read in this small book by Kenpo Tsung-tung Yeah. Rinpoche uh, Progressive Stages on Meditation of Emptiness Yeah. But there is a concept that everything is mind and he discusses this uh, with his exact words uh, but I understood it as but you said it's a, a mental picture or an, an analogy not to be read Literally.
0: okay there is the theor- mind only you want to get into the Chitamatra point of view mind only is saying that um, what we experience that the it's talking about what's called the natal source what is the natal source like um, the oven is the, is the source from which comes a bread or the womb is the natal source from which comes a baby so what is the natal source of what we perceive and they're saying that other points of view not mind only says that the objects let's let's keep to our uh, electromagnetic waves are coming from an external source and The mental activity is coming from an internal source, from mind. And what mind only is saying is that you can't prove that those electromagnetic waves are coming from an external source because you can only talk about it in relation to mind, talking about it, or seeing it, or dealing with it. So they say that they're talking about the mental hologram, where that comes from. And the source of the mental hologram and the source of the uh, ways of being aware of it, you know, the consciousness and the mental factors are both coming from the same natal source, which they say is one seed of karmic potential, karmic tendency. And that is, you know, giving rise to the mental hologram and the ways of being aware of it. So the two aspects of mental activity. So it's not talking about, because as I said, you can't prove that the source of that is something external without actually encountering the external thing and seeing it. And then when it speaks about uh, static phenomenon, like... uh, Categories, and so on. These arise with the mental activity. So in that sense, all phenomena are mind-only. But that doesn't mean that they are all mind. Mind is is a way of being aware of something. There's still objects. But the objects are, are mental holograms. So this is the mind-only school. And it makes... Some sense. it makes some sense. It's useful. It's a useful theory. You know, especially if you translate it into you know actual situations
5: the way I kind of understand it is that all the things out there, kind of, they exist but my only experience of them is my mind uh, interpreting the or the data coming into my mind and being transferred into information and this information is all produced by my mind or interpreted by my mind So that's I'm aware of my mind producing all these mental holograms. Kind of. That's all I mean. I'm right. allowed to...
0: Right, that them. is correct. Yeah. The way that we, what we experience is produced by the mind. Yeah. Now, whether or not that is based on...
5: So that's what you uh, kind of understand by this everything is mine, that everything I experience is kind of my, my own mind. It's not the... the uh, the way I experience an orange is by interpreting it, not by floating it about in my mind and experiencing the, the orange self. I'm only experiencing. Right, what we experience
0: is experience from the point of view of mind. So that has to do with interpretation. Like, for instance, uh, that uh, um, I'm a loser. Well, that's an opinion, you know, that's coming from the mind. That's not objective reality. You know, you can, different people have different opinions, different ideas. That's something different, you know, how we interpret uh, things. But where you get into trouble with this mind only is uh, my interaction with you. Now, my interaction with you. You can, say, you can describe it as, well, there's a mental hologram of you and how I interpret it, and um, I mean, I really don't know you. I mean, I see the body, but uh, yeah. I don't know your history, I don't know anything about you. So, what we are dealing with is that information. Now, the question is, do you exist as a separate being, separate from me. And that becomes tricky. In the mind-only system, you can say that, well, my perception of you is my perception. But do you exist separately from me? I can't prove that. How do you prove that? By looking at, you know, a birth certificate, by, lo- by, by a mental interaction. So that's where it starts to make some sense, but nevertheless that to take that to the extreme, as some do, that you don't exist at all, separately, that's a difficult uh, thing especially for the development of compassion. Yes, and I think you
5: can quote he clearly, clearly refutes its, uh, this concept of uh, uh, Yes. Yes,
2: um,
5: in, in this book that I refer to uh, clearly refutes the, the, the concept of solipsism. solipsism some kind of yeah,
0: well, Chittimatra is not solipsism. Kind of though. It absolutely is not narcissism, you know, not solipsism, that I'm the only thing that exists. Certainly not. But what I'm saying is that there's the danger in that way of thinking of going to the extreme, of saying that I'm the mm-hmm. only one exi- that exists. But the other views within Buddhism, the other philosophical systems, do acknowledge that there are external sources of uh, data, for want of a better word. That you know, there is things come from uh, the, the Buddhism would call from the elements as their source. We'll get to this in the uh, Karma argument. Explanation of it is that uh, in one moment the uh, electromagnetic waves, you know, make contact, and it's the next moment the mental hologram arises. Well, when that mental hologram arises, that moment of the electromagnetic, you know, wave hitting is finished, not happening. So there's a time lag. So you're never actually seeing, you know, instantaneously, simultaneously what's happening. There's always a microsecond of time lag. So that's the point where, you know, the discussion comes in. How do you know that there was something before knowing it, before seeing it? How do you know there's food in the refrigerator until you open the door and look? Anything else? Well, let's just have... Yeah, you have a question.
3: I was uh, thinking about this uh, thing you uh, talked about: this uh, healthy sense of self. Yeah. And uh, uh, ego as the sort of trouble troublemaker. Uh, I think uh, many would have this impression that this is uh, sort of common to other ways of looking at.
0: I really didn't understand that sentence that you just said. Hmm?
3: Like Western psychology, we sort of frame this maybe in the same way. Uh, like, okay, you have a healthy sense of self. Uh, but what, what is the Buddhist sort of contribution for um, establishing a, a healthy sense of self? That's sort
0: of my well, from the Buddhist point of view, how do you establish a sense of healthy, a healthy sense of self is described in Lam Rim, basic uh, graded stages of the path. I mean, you find this in jewel ornament as well, of uh, thinking of the precious human rebirth, and it's not going to last forever, and therefore I need to take advantage of it by working for improving future lives for liberation, for enlightenment well that's developing a healthy sense of self that I have this precious human life and I'd better use it take advantage of it that's a healthy sense of self so it's right there in the Buddhist uh, training Anything else? Yeah?
2: Thank you. Um, I'm curious about one thing, or a lot of things, but one of the things I'm curious about is...
3: Yes, I hope so. (laughs) One of the things I'm very really curious about is that when I think about becoming the watcher of what I'm doing, mm-hmm. it's and and also becoming the watcher of what is going on in the mind. If I understood you correctly today, then there is the brain that watches the mind. No. No. Because if I can make it an example, um, maybe it probably, but i try. If I look myself in the mirror, I can see the fact that I'm getting older. Inside myself, I feel young. Who is watching?
0: Who is watching? You're watching.
3: I'm watching, but I have two pieces. I, I mean, I can see, and my interpretation is that I'm getting
0: older right. you see the
3: difference
0: okay so looking at the mirror and, and the, looking at the mirror we are commenting that I am getting older so then you I mean this we get with the analysis of the five aggregates that's why the five aggregates are so important there is uh, basically what's happening is that uh, uh, first of all you're making a dual appearance of you know the me and you know the image that uh, that you're looking at and identifying first of all with the body. I am the body. I am getting older. The body is getting older. Beginningless mind. I mean the point of older and so on is meaningless. Um, body is getting older. And what it is, uh, um, there is a distinguishing of uh, uh, certain defining characteristics that can be called getting older, you know, wrinkles, um, gray hair, you know, whatever. So distinguishing that and uh, um, identifying it as these are the distinguishing factors of getting old, and then there is a uh, conceptual mind which arises, thinking that, and a words that are designated on that thought. And mental hologram representing the sound of words. And the me, which is there, So there's a me experiencing it, identifying falsely the me as being identical with the sound of those words, mental words, as if there's a me Existing, separate from everything else, that's actually talking. But there isn't. Me is a, what's called, it's a fact about the whole phenomenon. That moment of mental activity. It's a fact about it. That me that's thinking, me that's seeing, me that is the, the image so are there all these different me's or there's just one me It's just a fact about it so it's not separate, it's not different from it it's not identical with any of the parts like that, so you analyze and then of course there's the judgment on top of that, how terrible I'm getting old you know, as opposed to oh, how interesting, I'm getting old <laughs> How old I look. Fascinating. On
3: top of that, I don't know about you guys, but I think it's very easy to feel after a little while training on it. There is a clear sense inside my body that there is a place which is constantly young. That looking at this mirror.
0: Well, yes, I know that very well. (laughs) <laughs> yeah? I think we all do.
3: I hope we all do. Because it, it's, it's, and it's very constant. It, it never changes.
0: Right. Well, that is viewing the self, the incorrect view of the self that is changing every moment as being static and unchanging. So that's called incorrect consideration. How we consider things. And uh, um, incorrect Labeling, in a sense. One might feel young, but what does it mean to feel young? I'm just feeling something, you're just giving it a name as young. It's just a word.
3: So that, that comes, then it comes to the fun part with it, because there's a road between these two. I know what you're saying makes sense.
0: Yeah, well, the the difficulty is that this arises automatically. That there is a uh, a me which can be known separately from the body or from anything else. And then you say, well, the body is looking old, but I, I'm not getting old. So that is this false view of a me that can be known separately from the body and mind, from the basis. And after all, there's the concept of young and old. What does it mean to be, you know, oh I'm young. You know, I'm not even toilet trained. I go, you know, I mean what 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 are you referring to as young? You know, I don't know what I'm going to do in life. I have to find a partner. I mean young? Is that what we mean by young? So it's a concept and how you define it.
3: But it's more the feeling of being back in the child, childish feeling. And the,
0: it's, well, you can feel know. childish without being a child.
3: Yeah, childish may not be the word. And, uh, childlike, yeah, it could be more
0: childlike. Childlike, yes. Well, that is just a description. That's, that's just a... But it comes as a sense. That's you can it. be creative, you can be imaginative. You can be... You know, I mean, are these the qualities?
3: But still, looking at the mirror, you see what you see, and you feel something else. Then you see.
0: Yes. That is is the bad news. The bad news is that it feels like that. And so we believe it. This is what automatically arises. This is what you have to eventually come to recognize that this is nonsense. Then Just because I feel, you know, young, doesn't mean that I can, you know, run up the flight of stairs.
3: I know. That is <laughs> then the mind
1: and the brain
0: having a struggle. Right. <laughs> That's where so, I mean, there's reality, and there's what we, you know, imagine. But as I was saying, the, you know, when you understand mental labeling with concepts, with categories, then you understand, this comes in the mind-only school, that the... um, You can label anything in different ways. The basis isn't the, the, the... you know the, the the definite support for it is the way that it uh, is explained so for instance you could describe the way that you're feeling as as i said creative imaginative energetic flexible in the thinking and so on that's one way of describing now you give it the label childlike and then you have other associations with child that don't fit in with what you see in the mirror, and then you get so-called cognitive dissonance. You know, what I feel and what I see aren't in harmony. Don't label it childlike. You know, you don't have to label it childlike. That's the trouble. This is what I mean by the label that you give it is optional.
3: Feeling more constant. It's, I don't know... It's, it's, it's a struggle to find the right d- description of the feeling that's
0: in there. Right, so that there, there is that. This is the incorrect consideration of what is changing as being yes. unchanging. So the way to, to deconstruct that, at least in terms of the body, is to get a series of photos spanning your life and then... Look at them and say, How do I know that they're all me? That is a very interesting question. How do I know they're all this baby? That's me? How do I know that? It doesn't look anything like me. I mean, like me, as if there were a me separate from it that all of these things should look like. That's pretty weird, isn't it? So the me is changing. Moment to moment to moment. I mean, this is what we have to try to understand that the me, the self, is not something which is static and unchanging. And the problem is that it feels like that. You know, I went to sleep last night and I got up in the morning and here I am again. You know, voila! You know, the same me. Here I am. Well, it's not a completely different person, but it's not identical. So these are, you know, the philosophical things that one ponders. But
3: still there is one thing inside that feels constant, never changing.
0: There's one thing inside that feels constant and never changing. What? I'm Pardon?
3: It's could be fun to find that out.
0: To find out. Well, it's a myth. <laughs> it's a myth. Is, is what you find out. Because that thing which is constant you feel insecure about. And because you feel inse- because you don't know it what it is, you feel that you experience that as insecurity. And when you feel insecure, you are trying all sorts of strategies to make yourself secure, and that's impossible. This we know from experience. You never feel secure because things change from moment to moment. It's because you're trying to make secure something that doesn't exist at all. It's impossible. I know, no. <laughs> to make the cloud secure, <laughs> I'm going to anchor it and then it's secure. It's, it's impossible. It's more looking at it. It's looking at it. But as I said, it's the deceptive appearance. The deceptive and the appearance, it feels like that is how we experience it. And just because we feel like that is nonsense, you know. So what? This is the this is the interesting approach. So what? Big deal, you know. (laughs) And then you don't get caught up in it. This is the whole point. Don't follow out these thoughts. That's what you train to do in in meditation. Don't tr- follow out the thought. Oh, I feel like that. I think like that. So what? It's just a thought. It takes a lot of training. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> yeah? I found a very interesting artist and uh, I've been thinking quite much the same myself and I'm wondering isn't
0: that good? Speak in the in the microphone by your mouth.
1: Okay. Uh, by your mouth. Yeah. The, consciousness who's observing. I mean, it is kind of, isn't that within us from lifetime to lifetime, and from the, 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 who I was when I was a baby, in a way, or when I was older when I can remember, it's the same. I am the same who's observing that. That is at least how I experienced it. I mean, maybe on a deeper level, it isn't like that. But at the same time, I am not what I see, but there's someone who's observing,
0: Right, so there's somebody that, it, first of all, is it the, uh, the, 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 the... The pictures that we see are a continuum of the self. It's a continuum of me, it's not somebody else. They're all me, but the me has changed, you know, over age. And now the feeling that, you know, the, the person that is that is recognizing, it's just identifying the me is the whole experience is the fact about the whole experience of looking at it and so on but what you're identifying with is the me that is watching it as though there's a me that is the observer that's just alertness that's that's just awareness of what's going on but th- that doesn't mean that that awareness of what's going on is identical with the me and what's going on is this dualistic thing i mean that's the real heart of what one works at in uh, overcoming is this dualistic feeling of me as the mind or the awareness that's looking at things and what's going on with uh, mental holograms and emotions and so on. That's the you know the object. It's something completely there, and there's me over here experiencing that over there. And then that follows from that is poor me. <laughs>
1: I mean, you don't, I'm not sure if we identify, it's not an identification of this, it's me, it's more like an observation, it's uh, awareness maybe?
0: Right, there is awareness, that's there. The problem is identifying it as a separate me, that's aware, that's watching. But
1: the awareness is, 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 is watching, I mean, the, the, the holograms, I mean...
0: Awareness is part of the whole, you know, the... We'll get to this with the with the mental hologram. As I said, in the moment of mental activity, it's made up of many many parts, and one of the parts is alertness, and another one is awareness of what's going on. So there is that. That's just part of it, part of the part of the of the package of what's happening. It's not, and the thing is not to identify with any of the parts. And that awareness of what's going on, that's a spectrum. Either you can really be aware, or you can be unaware. It all depends on another factor, which is attention. Which then depends on interest. I mean, all of these are interrelated. Yeah, I will, I will leave
1: it to that, but I'm just wondering, isn't when you talk about, uh, well, you did actually say healthy ego, but it's, I mean, even the Buddhas are separate, Um, they're individuals so isn't that more like the individual is observing that one is
2: getting
0: older there is the recognition that one is getting older but there's no separate me that is recognizing that
1: Mm -hmm. I agree with that
0: yeah but it feels like that
1: yeah, well, yes and no, I think. Pardon? Yeah, it kind of feels like that, but not necessarily. It doesn't have to. Do that. I mean,
0: we don't have to feel like that, no. But it is a fact that I'm getting older. Mm-hmm. So there's a difference between the fact and, you know, how you experience being aware of that fact.
1: And yeah, so if you don't buy into all those old. I'm getting older, this is really bad. And all those... Yeah, you don't buy
0: into that. You don't follow out that thought.
2: Okay, thank
0: you. That's the whole trick. These thoughts are going to arise, and the attitude, I call it nothing special. So I think I'm looking old. Nothing special about that. So what? Okay, so let's end (laughs) with the dedication. We think whatever understanding, whatever positive forces come from this, may go deeper and deeper and act as a cause for everyone to reach the enlightened state of a Buddha for the benefit of all.